you ever been going through life and at some point you ask yourself the question, is this all there is? Isn't there more to life than this? You know, uh, Shelly and I, before we uh, went overseas to, to be able to work in, in those settings in Sudan and in Jerusalem, uh, we taught, and I tell you what, there were some days as a math teacher, be like, God, is this all there is? Uh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. You know, and, and maybe I don't know where you find yourself today, that maybe you're in this stage of life where you just feel like you're just going through the motions, and, and you're wondering, God, is this all there is? Isn't, is there something more? I actually was thinking, I was, I was walking up the stairs last night to, to head to bed, and I, my thought was, knowing where we were headed today in Luke, uh, thank you, God, that I get to serve you. That where my mind went was, I can't imagine not living with God in my life. I can't imagine not living with the purpose that he gives today and the hope that he gives for tomorrow. I really can't. Um, so I don't know where you find yourself today, but man, I, I pray that if you've walked into this place and you feel like I'm just going through the motions that I just, I'm lacking purpose, I don't have hope, man, may you find it today. You're in the right place. You're in the right place this morning. Uh, we want you to be able to understand the life that you've been granted in Jesus. The, the title is, you know, that you're made for more. So we've been in this New Testament book called Luke and examining this person who claims to be God, Jesus. And, and I like that Luke, he's, he's a skeptic and he's writing for this guy, Theophilus, who's got questions, you know. So if you've got questions about who Jesus is, we're in the right book for that. And so we're going to be going through Luke and we're actually headed into a new chapter today, chapter 13. And as we do, what the, Jesus is working through today is that he's explaining to people you were made for more in life. So if that's the question today, may it be answered today. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got a Bible. If you're new to the church, you wonder, why do they say those things? Uh, we want you in God's word. And we want you to have access to God's word, not just today, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. May you be in God's word. So if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got one underneath the seat in front of you. You're welcome to read along with us today. If you don't have one at home, take it home as a gift from the church. But I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, the first nine verses. So reading in verse 1. There were some present at that very time. So I always want to emphasize, you know, these passages are connected. So even though it's a new chapter heading, it's not like things have changed. They're not in a different setting here. Jesus is with a crowd. He's talking about things. And so now some people ask him some questions. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their own sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I think I've mentioned before, there's like mic drop Jesus. Like this is one of those moments. Did you hear about those people who were at the temple, the holiest of places? Pilate killed them at the sacrifices. And he's like, you bet, the, I bet you think they're worse sinners. Well, they're not. And unless you repent, you are gonna perish. Drop the mic and leave the scene, you know? <laughs> mic drop Jesus, there's one of those moments, all right. No, I tell you. So he says, or those eight, 18. So then like Jesus, he drives it further. He's like, well, let's talk about this one. Or, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, 
Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So last week, if you were here, we were talking in Luke chapter 12, finished off the, the 12th chapter. And Jesus brings up a couple of things. What, what he's really talking about is that following me will affect your life. It can affect your family relationships. That following me may lead to some division in the relationships you have in your life, in your home or, or even outside your home. And what we talk through in that passage is, and I'm sure if, if maybe you know those people personally, I do. There's a number of people in our church that when they made a decision to follow Jesus, their family was not happy about it. So it created tension in their home. But the joy of following Jesus is not only do we belong to him, but we belong to his church. This is part of why we come together on Sundays, to be encouraged in our walk with Jesus. So even if you're in a home of people who don't yet believe in Jesus, and I'm going to say don't yet, because you're there to be a light. So even if that's the home you're in, on Sundays you come together with brothers and sisters and moms and dads in a spiritual sense, and you're meant to be encouraged so that you can go back out and encourage others too. So following Jesus will affect your relationships. But we also saw, Jesus says, you know, and how can you know weather patterns but not see what I'm doing in the world today? And so that's why every year we want to focus on a vision Sunday to say, God, we want to see what you're doing in the world and we want to be a part of that. That's why we do the kingdom builders. We mentioned that at the offering time. I was, I was thinking about, you know, so why the kids spaces? Why do we want to really pour into and develop those kids spaces this year? Well, I went back. I, we know they've been growing. And so I thought, you know, what, what has that looked like? So four years ago, four years ago, that's not a whole lot of time. Four years ago on a Sunday morning, we would have 80 kids in the kids spaces. 80. You want to know how many we had last week? Almost 240 kids. Okay, that's a lot of kids. So praise God they're coming, but Lord, help us do our part to make sure everything is back there the way that it should so that our volunteers serving in those spaces, that it's not complicated for them. So we want to invest in our kids' spaces. And then we begin to pray and ask God, what are you doing around the world? How can we be a part? And we were invited to help with the Kids Ministry Center in Ireland, so we want to put resources there. We were invited to help with some farming initiatives in China where they're bringing the message of Jesus. We said, hey, let's be a part of that too. And so we look for ways. How can we be a part? We live in a community of young adults. Half the population here is between 18 and 22. So we say it's a part of our job. We've got to equip next generation leaders. So we want to have a heart to say, God, as we follow you, it should affect the way that we invest our time, our talent, our resources. It should change the way that we live. So that's part of how it affects us. And, and the last thing we saw last week is that it affects our eternal destiny. Jesus gives this parable of settle your account before you get to the magistrate, before you get to the judge. And, and so following Jesus affects our eternal destiny and it affects it in a really good way. We get to live with God and other believers for eternity. So my prayer for you today, backing up to last week, is if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, if he has not affected your life, don't leave this place today without making that decision. You're meant to live as a child of God. You're meant to follow Jesus. And it affects the way that you live. And, and what we find as we then come into this passage is people begin to ask questions because where Jesus left off is he left off with this parable saying that following me is going to affect the way you live. And so people start asking questions. And so he starts to highlight, well, and not only does it affect the way that you live, it does that because you were made for more. And the first thing that they start to ask him about is they ask him about some people being killed. And so what we find this morning as we transition is that you were made for more 
than to worry about death. You were made for more than to worry about death. If you were to talk to my dad, so at age 16, he was invited to go to church. Um, he actually liked a girl who said that she wouldn't date him unless he went to church. So uh, he went to church, praise God. So he went to church and made a decision to follow Jesus. And he'll tell you, really, part of what drove him is he was a very anxious, nervous, and worried kid, and he was worried about dying. And so as soon as he made a decision to follow Jesus, he was no longer worried about death. And we, as we follow Jesus, you are made for more than to worry about death. So that's part of the the joy of following him is we've got hope for eternity, hope for tomorrow. So these Galileans, they begin to ask him about, you know, these guys that go to the temple, they're killed by Pilate, and they're, basically what they're trying to get at here is, you know, since you were talking about settling with your accuser before you get to judgment, what about these guys that were at the altar? Like, God must have really, they must have done something really bad. Like, to be at the altar sacrificing and get, get, get killed there? Jesus, what do you think about this? But what does Jesus say? They weren't any worse than you. There's no difference between them and you. Jesus begins to explain that, look, we live in an evil world. Bad things happen. This world is not as it should be. When God created the world, what did he say? It is good. Then sin, then evil enters the world and things aren't as they should be. So what Jesus is saying is, look, we live in a world that's not great and so bad things are going to happen. You don't need to worry about how death is going to come. What you need to concern yourself with is the knowledge that death will come and so what are you doing with your life until that day happens? Because now judgment will come. We will be held accountable for the way that we lived our lives. But let's put it in the right context. Something that Jesus does then on top of that is he begins to give another example of the Pool of Siloam. So last June, we went with uh, several people from the church to Israel. So this is a picture of some of those in our group. And if you look at the stairs that are basically going, it's almost like a pool shape. So that's the Pool of Siloam. One of the really incredible things about this book, this first century document, Luke, is he's talking about things that you can go back and visit today. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years. What's going to be... <laughs> in America in 2,000 years, you know? Like, these are incredible ruins. So we get to go back and see those spaces. So that's the Pool of Siloam. Uh, part of the reason I, I put that picture up is because I've been getting questions. When are we headed back to Israel? So we're looking to go in March 2020. So if you have interest in going, start making plans that way. So we'll go back because what we want to do is continue to show people, look, the things in this book are true. You can look at them and see them as true. So we're going to go back and point that out. But I want to get back to Pool of Siloam. So Pool of Siloam, what is it? It is a mikvah. So what's a mikvah? A mikvah is, there was purification rituals in Judaism that you had to be pure before God before you went to the temple. So the pool of Siloam is south of Jerusalem. So you would go to this pool, you would go down as impure, and then come out of that pool pure, ready to go to the temple. And what they would do, there was actually steps that would go up to the temple from the pool of Siloam. I want to read one of those psalms. So they have something called the Psalms of Ascent. Anybody ever heard of those, Psalms of Ascent? They start in Psalm 120, and I'm looking for the Psalms. Here we go. All right, so 120. I'm going to read 121. So what they would do is they would go into the mikvah, go into the pool of Siloam, impure, come up pure, and then they would walk up to the temple quoting a psalm. So Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. They would quote these psalms. And the cool thing is like that psalm, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. So what they're saying is true. So they're seeing it physically, but also praying that spiritually as well. So what Jesus is saying is, while we're talking about those people 
who were at the altar and killed. I mean, what about those people who were actually in the pool of Siloam trying to ready themselves to go to the temple, to, to go to this holy place, and the tower fell on them? Are they any worse sinners? So Jesus is just putting it out before them. And he's basically saying, as, as we talk about these guys, were they any more evil than you? And the answer is no. And part of what Jesus is doing here is he's correcting views on judgment. And this is important for us to with your accuser before you get to the judge. And so what he was implying is settle in this life. Get your life right before God now because as you enter from, pass from this life and enter into the next, into eternity, you're going to stand before God and be held accountable for the way that you lived your life. God did not judge the Galileans and cause Pilate to kill them at the altar. This is what Jesus is saying. God did not judge those in the pool of Siloam and have a tower come down on top of them. Yes, we'll stand before God. We, all, we see this in scripture. But this life we're living right now is both an opportunity to get right with God and then a responsibility to help others get right too. It's important for us to understand this life that we're living. And, and I mention this um, because I'm sure uh, that you may have seen, you know, sometimes natural or, or natural disasters happen, either, you know, locally or on a global scale. And sometimes well-meaning Christians will say in response to that, well, those people must have really made God angry for him to send a hurricane, a tsunami, an earthquake, a tornado, or whatever to wipe them out. You ever heard that? I'm sure that you probably have. Nobody wants to admit that. <laughs> You've probably had that. But Jesus addresses that. What, God is, what Jesus is saying is, look, we live in an evil world. Bad things are going to happen. This world is not what, how God meant it to be. And so as those bad things happen, we can't look at that as God's judgment. God's judgment is going to come. And that's called judgment day. But God's judgment is not now. We're, now is the opportunity to get right before God. Do you understand the difference? Bad things happen in our world. That's not God's judgment now. God's judgment is to come later. And here's why this matters. Because too often people have said, how could God enable or allow suffering in the world? God didn't design suffering. But here's what I also know. God will use suffering to bring people to himself. So although God doesn't cause suffering, he will use it for his purposes. I don't know how many people I know at this point who because they faced hardship in their life, they made a decision to follow God. They made a decision to follow Jesus. They turned their life over to God. Why? Because they came to the end of themselves and realized, I need a savior. So God might not cause suffering, but he's gonna use it to help people have a heart for him. Are you trekking with me this morning? There's a difference there. And Jesus talks about this. So as we look at the events of our world today, it's not like God is looking down saying evil, 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 although we know that we have problems in our world. What he's saying is, I want this person to have a heart for me. I want this person to have a heart for me. I want this person to have a heart for me. Do you see the difference? Will we be judged? Okay, this is a tricky theological thing right now, so I want to make sure we've navigated it right. Will we be judged? Yes, but that's not in this life. This life is our preparing for that day. Uh, we were joking <laughs> with this, the deacons the other night. We had a meeting and talking about different things and talking about premarital counseling and doing premarital counseling for uh, people that don't follow Jesus. So I love uh, a book, You and Me Forever, uh, by Francis and Lisa Chan. And the, one of the things in that book is it talks about how you as a spouse are readying your spouse for the day they'll stand before God. And so the joke was, like, you do premarital counseling like that with non-believers, they'll be like, "Woo, forget it, I'm out, you know? 
that's tough for us to consider. We're readying ourselves for the day that will stand before God. So Jesus is addressing views on judgment here in this passage. He's, and so what does he say to the crowd? He says, repent or you too shall perish. Repent. So what is repentance? I wanted to find that this morning. Repentance is not an emotion or a mere mental assent to a proposition. It's not. It's a reorientation to a new life. To repent is not merely to regret things that we've done or to apologize for them or to recognize a wrong that's been committed. To repent is to agree that a change of direction is required and then to respond accordingly. That's what it means to repent. I once was living like this, but now I know I should be living like this. That's what it means to repent, that you're going to change your life. So what's the application today? Well, we need to remember. <laughs> Somebody's sleeping this morning. Anybody hear that? That's all right. Hopefully his li- right, life is right before God. <laughs> The way that we live our lives, we're going to one day face God. And so then the question is not how we're going to die, but how are you going to live? I love the statement of, if your life were a dollar, how would you spend it? If your life were a dollar, how would you spend it? If you need to change your life, do it today. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, go after it. If you need to ask Jesus for more kindness, more joy, more love, go after it. And we live this way. Why? Because you were made to live more than an ordinary life. You were made to live more than an ordinary life. So what Jesus, after he talks about the pool of Siloam, he shares a parable. And he shares this parable about the fig tree. Here's what it says. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year. I'll dig around it put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, I'll cut it down. So the the question that we're seeking in this parable, I reread it because I want to address the question. The question that we're seeking to be answered in this parable is, does God care about results? And the answer is yes. God cares about effectiveness. He cares about performance. The whole word that encompasses this idea is the word fruit. God cares about fruitfulness. Fruitfulness here is good works. Good works, obedience, a changed life, living the kind of life that makes a difference. That when your life on earth is done, people miss you because you were a gift to them. That's a fruitful life. That you provided wisdom or generosity or help or service or encouragement. You were a channel of God's grace. You were giving. You were fruitful. That's what fruitful is. That your life counted. That you weren't just a consumer, but you were a producer, a contributor. You didn't just take from everyone and everything, but you gave, and people were blessed by you. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the golden rule, rule, that you do to others as you'd want people to do to you, that you treat others how you want to be treated. Everybody know the golden rule? It's, It's pretty familiar. So Jesus actually talks about the golden rule in Matthew 7, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So I got an email this last week, Uh, Reggie Campbell, he does radical mentoring, and on it, it said the platinum rule. So anybody ever hear the platinum rule? That was a new one for me, but I like it. So here's what Reggie said is the platinum rule. Whatever God has done for me, I must go and do for others. What a good rule. It's not even what I wish for myself I do to others, but what God has done for me, may I go and do it for others. That is a life of fruitfulness. 
But I want to clarify this morning that this is different than religion. This is an important tension in scripture that we define. That religion teaches that we're saved by our fruit. That we're saved by our good works. That if you live a moral life, you're a good, decent person. That you'll stand before God and he'll find you pleasing in his sight at the end. This is what religion would teach. Essentially, the essence of all religion is the same. That you work hard, you bear much fruit, God then judges on a curve, and if you are better than most, he finds you pleasing in his sight. Okay, we don't believe this way. This is not what we're talking about here. We don't believe that we're saved by our fruit, but rather, we are the fruit of the work of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life, not us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we don't have to. Jesus rose to give the gift that we don't deserve of salvation, eternal life, citizenship, and adoption into God's family. But some of you, some of us, have misunderstood Christianity. Some of us, particularly who are raised in the church, or maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were young, we've misunderstood the gospel. And you thought, belong to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus, and when you die, you get to go to heaven. And that's almost true, but it's missing something called life. It's not like we just get, you know, Scotty, beam me up. Give your life to Jesus. Whoop, here we go. That's it. We've got life in between. So the question is, well, what do we do with that? It's not just belonging to Jesus and going to heaven. It's about belonging to Jesus, living a fruitful life, and then going to heaven for an eternal reward. Our lives count. Your life matters. God has fruit for you to bear. He has good works for you to do. He has things for you to accomplish. That's a part of that gnawing in our hearts to say there has to be something more. And chances are, there is. God puts that in your heart. So it's not that you become a Christian. Uh, In other words, he has things for you to accomplish. And by doing that, you don't accomplish things and become a Christian. No, it's because you are a Christian, you accomplish things. It's not so that you become pleasing in his sight because through Jesus you already are. So Paul, I love these verses. This gives really good explanation for us. Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, he writes uh, to some people at a church in a town called Ephesus. And here's what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of our works. That's important so that no one may boast. So we've been given this gift and we can't boast about it. But here's what he continues in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's look at this. Created in Jesus for what? Absolutely. As we make a decision to follow Jesus, he actually has plans for us to fulfill. This is what we, why we've talked about living an extraordinary life, that God has laid out a life for you to live and you're meant to enter into it. So we're not saved by our good works. Or to use the parable, we're not saved by our fruit. But we are saved so that we get to be a part of those good works that Jesus has laid out for us. That once you meet Jesus, you're supposed to become increasingly fruitful. A little more fruitful every year throughout the course of your life. Demonstrating the character, the love, the affection, and generosity of God. Because you're in Jesus. And Jesus says elsewhere, if you abide in me, that I'll abide in you. And you do what? You bear much fruit. So uh, as you leave today, here is my goal. I want to remind you of this for a very long time, that you are meant to bear fruit. So when you leave today, we're going to hand you a fig Newton. So even if you don't like it, take it, give it to somebody else. 
because here's my goal for you, because here's what I know. You listen to this message today, but three months from now, I want you in Walmart or Sam's Club or Meyer to look at Fig Newtons and say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to bear fruit with my life. So I, I put that, I want to bless you with that thought forever, that every time you see Fig Newtons, it will remind you you're going to bear fruit. May you live a fruitful life, even if you don't like Fig Newtons. Live a fruitful life. You're not meant to live an ordinary life. You're meant to live an extraordinary one that bears fruit. You are made for more. So here's a question. How do we bear fruit? How do we live lives that bear fruit? You're faithful. You're faithful to God. You're faithful to spending time in his word. You're faithful to spending time in prayer. You're faithful to be a part of the body of Christ. Because what I want to tell you this morning is there's a natural drifting pattern. There's a natural drifting away from God if you're not faithful. So the task before you today to remain fair or to bear fruit is to live a faithful life. If you don't know how to abide in Jesus, so abiding is Bible reading and prayer. Uh, there's more to it than that. But we have in your seat backs an abide daily book. Those aren't meant to be left here. If you don't have one, take it home with you because we want to give you instructions on how to live a fruitful life. And a big part of that is that you abide daily, abide daily, but then also be here on Sundays. That one of the things I've noticed is as people begin to miss Sundays and time together, then they get a little bit more distracted, a little bit more distracted, and before long, they're not living with God at the center. So be here. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that we come to Jesus alone. We might do that, but we grow in Jesus together. You need your brothers and sisters in the faith. So live a fruitful life. Be here on Sundays. But some of you might say this morning, I do dedicate my Sunday mornings to God. I take time to read my Bible and pray, but my life is a mess my life is upside down. I'm barely surviving, let alone thriving. I feel like that fig tree that gets inspected and it has no fruit. But what our passage tells us today is this, that sometimes God uses fertilizer so that fruit will come. And so the last one this morning is this, that a fruitful life can come through hardship. An extraordinary life can come through hardship. What did the vine dresser offer to do to the fig tree for it to bear fruit? He said he'd dig around it and put manure on it. So the word manure is in the Bible, in case you didn't know that. That's what he said he's going to do. So you're meant to have a fruitful marriage. You're meant to be a fruitful parent, one that bears fruit. You're not meant to have an ordinary marriage. You're meant to have an extraordinary one. You're not meant to be an ordinary student. You're meant to be an extraordinary one. But some of you today, as I was walking through this, might have said, man, an ordinary marriage would be a step up. My marriage right now, it's like manure. So here's the message today. If you feel like what you're in is a mess, you feel like it's kind of stinky, the good news is fruit could be on its way. Fruit could be on its way. If you're in a stinky marriage, you've got a stinky work situation, you feel like I'm in the middle of manure, what is God doing? He says, well, I've given you that manure because I want fruit to come from your life. Now, here's what I know about the will of God. It comes in three parts, and I want some help. So the first one is figuring out God's will. I'm usually pretty good there. Figuring out God's way, how he's going to plan to get it done. Here's the one that's hard. God's timing. Anybody ever feel like I know God's timing? Because I want you as my counselor, by the way. <laughs> God's timing is hard to figure out. So maybe you've been in a mess for a while, but your job in the midst of that mess is to remain faithful. As you are faithful, fruit is what comes. Because here's what this passage says today. Fruit isn't guaranteed when you're in the middle of a mess. 
for you to be, be able to bear fruit in the middle of a mess is you've got to be faithful. Another word I like to use for that is you've got to plot on. You've got to be faithful day in and day out with the hope and the joy and the realization that fruit is on its way. You're meant to live a fruitful life. You're made for more. But sometimes you get in the middle of a mess because God wants you to bear more fruit than you already have. Uh, William Borden, uh, he's uh, known as a a, uh, father of modern missions. William Carey, I'm sorry. William Carey. And he was asked by his nephew about the prospect of someone writing about him one day. And here's what William says. I love this. If he give me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond that is too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. If you read about the life of William Carey, he had his fair share of manure. But what you then look at the fruit of his life, and it was incredible. Hundreds and hundreds of people on the Indian continent who came to faith. He translated the Bible in six different languages. He had impact on the social system of that day. The fruit of William Carey's life was incredible. And why? He was faithful. He was a plotter. So there's going to be days where you're going to be excited in Jesus to be like, I can't believe I get to live this life. I can't believe this is what I get to be a part of. And then there's going to be a day where it's just like, I'm plodding today. And so I would say, plot on. You were made for more in this life but you've got to remain faithful to God to experience it all. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions in closing. The music team's going to come, and we're going to close in song. But just some questions of reflection today. What could your life look like if you committed yourself to plod well, knowing God's desire is for you to live a fruitful life? As your faithful fruitfulness comes, what would a fruitful marriage look like for you? Begin to pray and ask God for that. God, I need my marriage to be fruitful. Pray and ask God for it. What would fruitful parenting look like? You know, you might be plotting in parenting right now, but ask that God, help me to work through this thing, help me to remain faithful and to parent well. May I be fruitful in parenting. What would fruitful studying look like? What would fruitful work look like? Begin to pray and ask God for you to bear fruit in those areas of your life and especially in those areas that you feel like this is just difficult right now, and to say, you know what, but I'm going to be confident that fruitfulness is coming. I just want to pray with you this morning that everyone's uh, life in this room, that you guys would bear fruit. So just bow our heads in prayer. God, I just ask. I just want to pray that over everyone in this room and in this space right now. God, I just pray that everyone who's here today, that they would experience a fruitful life. God, I pray that if they're in the middle of a mess, that they would remain faithful. Lord, I just pray that if their marriage is not great right now, I pray for a fruitful marriage in Jesus' name. God, I just pray that if parenting is a challenge right now, I pray for a fruitfulness in parenting. God, I just pray that if work is it's, it's just difficult, God, I just pray that you would bring fruit in work, fruit in studying, God. I just pray that everyone in this space today, that they would hold out for hope knowing fruit is on the way. God, we just pray for fruitfulness today that everyone experience it in this place. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and, and uh, close in song with us today. And as you're standing, you just want to ask that maybe you're here today. And the biggest reason that you haven't experienced fruit in your life is because you've never made a decision to follow him. The starting point of a fruitful life is a life in Jesus. So you got to start there. 
So if that's where you'd find yourself today to say, I want to live a fruitful life. I recognize it starts in Jesus. And so you'd say, I need to make that decision today. With every head bowed in this space today, if you'd say, that's me. I need to follow you, Jesus. I want to live that fruitful life. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you before we leave today. I want to pray with you that God would help you to fully commit your life to him. Anybody say, that's me. I need to make that decision to follow Jesus. My fruitful life begins today. Anybody today that say, that's me. Help me live fruitful in Jesus' name. Over here on the left, anybody else that say, that's me. I want to live a fruitful life today. I want to devote my life to Jesus. God, I just pray for the person that raised their hand and for others that might be in this space that have yet to make that decision. I just pray, Lord, fruitfulness over their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would have a heart for you today. Lord, that if they're walking through hardships, that they would say, you know what? I recognize I need a savior. And I pray that they would find you as their savior today. So Lord, I just pray uh, that you would have your way in the hearts of everyone in this space today. And especially those that would say for the first time, I wanna follow you, Jesus. May they live and journey with you for a lifetime, oh God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our, a couple of our prayer team members to come forward, if you wouldn't mind, if you were helped with the prayer team today. And if you raise your hand as we sing our song, I just simply want you to come down to meet with our prayer team member. They want to pray with you, give you a Bible, and say, hey, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime. Because we know there's this natural drift that occurs. The enemy will come against that decision to say, you know what, do you really want to do that? And we would say, yes, you do that you are meant to live with God for all eternity. So if that was you this morning, feel free to come down, meet with our prayer team members. And if you're just looking for prayer this morning, feel free to meet with them for that purpose too. Let's close in song.